Right, we're rolling. On this podcast, we'll be talking about different areas of business and all things marketing. My name is Dave Doyle. And I'm Dave Alton. This is Social Antics, another marketing podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of Social Antics, another marketing podcast. My own name is Dave Doyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dave Alden. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Dave, how did we end up here? Why are we doing the podcast? I don't know how we ended up here. <laughs> to be quite honest, I haven't a clue how we ended up here. Uh, it's been a long time in the in the, the making, I suppose. Um, we've worked together for the last couple of years on a number of different projects, I suppose coming from different perspectives. Yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, you would come at things from a very, very marketing practitioner perspective, looking at social media management, content creation. My background is as an academic. I'm a marketing lecturer in the local university. So I look at the more kind of critical dimensions of marketing, the role of marketing in society, and then also the more strategic elements of business and the role of marketing within that. So look, hopefully we'll have a number of interesting discussions along the way. Yeah, so look, I think the way we're going to run this podcast will be, the first part of the episode will be around news that's popped up in the last week, things of interest that we found uh, creeping up around the world of marketing and business. And then for the second part of the podcast, we're going to talk about a particular area of business or marketing, whether that's social media, branding, strategy, entrepreneurship, or whatever else comes up. So I suppose to kick off the first week, Dave... What's come up? Yeah, so what caught my eye was um, Apple released a new feature called App Clips for iOS 14. Um, so what are App Clips? I suppose if you take any app in the world at the moment, you have to download it if you want to use it. What App Clips allows you to do is, via an NFC code, which would be located in a particular location, you scan the code and all of a sudden you're able to use a specific feature in an app without ever having to download or register for an app in the first place. And what's the benefit of that? Well, I suppose if you take um, from a marketer's perspective, or if you actually actually start off, let's take it from the consumer's perspective, your phone at the moment is going to be full of apps. You might use them once, you might use them twice, you forget about them, you forget that they exist when they're in a specific context. What NFC codes allow you to do via app clips is that if you scan your particular code, you're going to be scanning it when you want to do a particular thing at a particular moment in time. And ultimately, this is all about reducing friction. You don't have to register for the app. You don't have to download the app. You don't have to go looking for a specific feature on the app. You can just do the action straight away. So by way of an example, um, at the moment, um, every kind of pub in the country has to serve food. Well, it doesn't at the moment, but it had to serve food. Done. Done, dusted. Uh, done and done thank God it's over and done with I can't wait for the weekend but anyway social distancing stay yeah. two metres apart but anyway the what this allows you to do is if you were in a particular pub and they had an NFC code linked to an app for a chipper down the road for example or a pizzeria down the road all you would need to do is scan the NFC code it would bring up a purchasing page with a menu all you need to do is click what you want and it allows you to complete that purchase via Apple Play and the registration process takes place in the background via your Apple ID. So you never need to download the app for the pizzeria down the road. You just don't need to do it. Same thing would apply, for example, if you were waiting by a taxi rank. At the moment, you just have to wait for a taxi. A lot of people are using Free Now or My Taxi or whatever they're calling themselves this week. But ultimately, if you had a NFC code that you could scan at any rank, then it would just 
bring up the free now order page and again it would just automatically pay via Apple Pay and you would automatically register via um, your Apple ID I think so, so there's no friction the one thing that I'm hearing there now the whole time is if obviously if all this is connected and all the purchasing of what you do online or through your phone or whatever it is is all connected this is obviously going to be brilliant for marketers to be able to tap into that Oh, it, it's it's an absolute game changer. If you are looking for investment and you're in a tech startup and you're you're developing an app, the first thing that they're going to ask you is what's your customer acquisition cost or what's your cost per install, what's your retention rate and what's the lifetime value per consumer. The main cost that any business is going to put in in the early stages is downloads of their app and keeping people interested in their app. So if you take, for example, if you're um, scrolling through Facebook or you're scrolling through Twitter and an app pops up, an ad for an app pops up, unless that is interesting you to you in that particular moment in time, then you're not going to download it. You're going to forget about it. So what this app clips allows you to do is to promote yourself to the customer at the exact moment in time that they are going to want to use your app. We live in an attention economy. The world is just full of marketing, noise, advertising, etc. If you can put an NFC code, which basically says you can use a specific feature of an app right now when you need it, be it ordering a taxi, be it ordering food, um, be it ordering from Tesco, whatever the case may be, then that reduces that friction. That's This is what all this comes down to. It's reducing the amount of steps that a customer has to take for you to convert them. If you go back to Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, when he created the first iPod, gave yeah. the instruction to his engineers, a customer needs to be able to find the song that they want in three clicks. Yeah, definitely. And that's what it's all about, reducing that friction. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I suppose one we have to look out for over the coming weeks. I think it's one to look out for over the coming months, more so than anything else. Like, yeah, like, what I would say to any business owner is don't look at the little kind of features and stuff like that. Look at the big trend or look at the big advantage that you can possibly gain from adopting a particular technology before your competitors do if you do that that's an immediate source of competitive advantage if you can reduce your customer acquisition cost you can increase your conversions and by getting the consumer to the actual purchase quicker that can only be a winner for um that can only be a winner for marketers i think that leads in nicely into what i'm going to talk about in terms of you said there about you know businesses hopping on trends that are coming down the lines and there's a few new uh, rollouts coming down for platforms uh, for social media platforms coming down the next couple of months so youtube uh, are releasing a new their own version of basically tiktok uh, short videos going to be a few little second videos they made an announcement last week that they're going to be launching these they're beta testing it, i think in, in india at the moment um, it's basically going to allow you to create 15 second clips add music basically what tiktok is doing at the moment it's depressing really like i find like the lack of innovation that is happening from some of the biggest companies of the world at the moment is shocking. Like it's just R- copycat. They're all copying each other. R&Ds should stand for read and duplicate <laughs> because that's all that's happening. You've got Facebook who have copied Snap in terms of their features. Then you had Facebook and Instagram trying to copy TikTok, what TikTok are doing and now YouTube are jumping on this as well. Like it shows you the, like how ridiculous intellectual property law is. Like they spend millions on lawyers looking after trademarks and then a big brand like Facebook should just come along and copy a feature it's absolutely ridiculous like i hope i hope consumers and i think to be fair to tiktok they've got this right and um, particularly with their algorithm they've done something that even facebook with all their resources have not been able to replicate and i hope youtube aren't able to replicate it either yeah i think they're all trying to pick the best features of each other the only one that done that in my opinion the best was instagram when it first brought out you know it brought out the stories feature and stuff like that it was copying snapchat at the time but it totally you know shot snapchat out of the park like really it, it, it definitely was the best copycat or new rollout of new features 
Another one coming down the line is Twitter are going to be um, releasing audio clips in DMs. So you're basically going to be able to allow, allow you to send 140 seconds of an audio clip. Much like WhatsApp, Snapchat, they're already doing it. They're rolling out in Brazil at the moment, um, but they're waiting for to be sending it out further. Um, to be honest, I'm getting a bit sick of Twitter trying to change its model the whole time. I'm not a fan of it. It tried doing the short, um, what was it, 24-hour kind of tweets. What was the point? Yeah, but I, mean, I suppose the, pro- the problem that Twitter has is that even though it is, in, in, in my opinion, it is the best news source in the world. It's where I go for all my news. The problem with Twitter is that their business model is screwed. They're still not making any money and they're still absorbing all the loss from all the years that they didn't make money. So they have to try different ways. And ultimately, like from a from a brand perspective, they're not just doing this to just improve the user experience. They are looking at, well, if we get voice clips in now, then is there a way that we can get voice advertising in into the future? And this is what all this stuff is leading to. It's increasing their advertising revenue. Um, again, for me, you're just replicating you're replicating WhatsApp. And I don't really see what the benefit is of taking something that already exists elsewhere and applying it to a different platform. I don't see how this works. I think Twitter as a platform works really, really well. Yeah. Their ad model is terrible. Um but focus on your ad model. Don't focus on the, the, the ridiculous features like this. Totally agree. Um talking about ads actually there, Facebook have announced it's getting rid of its whole restrictions around text content in adverts so you know there's this rule around 20% of your picture can only be oh, words oh it's basically. painful it is oh, painful the heartbreak <laughs> that that caused me over the years back in my graphic design days heartbreak but the only thing I'm not looking forward to is getting now my full feed full of poster style adverts do you know literally full of text I think that's going to ruin it again but is it not like but for me Instagram is the place where you have your visual aesthetic based photographs like Facebook is now more informational than it is visual and a lot of the way that Facebook is going is video anyway mm-hmm. so I mean I think this is a small step I don't think it's going to change the user experience that much I just think it's going to look literally going to be just bombarded with poster adverts and that's it it's just going to look awful do you, say, do you still use Facebook? I, I do do you seriously use Facebook? I do. I, I use it more so for work. More so, yeah, for work, definitely, for advertising and stuff like that. Personally, I would be going towards Twitter and Instagram for my main ones. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. And, and LinkedIn, very... to be honest, I think LinkedIn is unbelievable at the moment. I think it's just getting better and better. Well, they've got their ad content. My problem with LinkedIn isn't necessarily, it's not algorithmic based or anything like that. My problem with LinkedIn is that it, it almost doesn't know what it is. And my big thing with LinkedIn, which I absolutely despise, is the kind of impassionate virtue signaling posts which are out there at the moment. Um, so you got, oh, I've had an employees and I'm treating my employees great. And if we treat everyone brilliantly, then the world would be a better place and all this kind of virtue signaling garbage. There's a lot of that on there at the moment, which I'm not really a big, I'm not a big fan of it, put it that way. Back on the Instagram then, more beautiful content. More beautiful, yeah, just link <laughs> to, yeah. So Facebook, uh, another thing that they are rolling out is Facebook Campus. They're basically going back to basics. They're bringing out this whole idea of students being able to get into a, a network within their campus or find students within their school groups, whatever it is, on their campus. It's being rolled out in about 30 campuses across the US. So going back to the whole, even if you watch the whole social network uh, movie, it's basically that, they're rolling that out again. I personally don't think this is going to catch on. It might catch on in America, but I definitely don't think it's something that's ever going to catch on but, here. But so how how does it work? Is that you can only interact with people within your 
campus basically as far as it? I know yeah I think but the other thing is they're telling they're, from what I've read anyway they're saying that you actually have to set up nearly a new profile you, you, it brings across your profile that you have but there's certain elements that you still have to fill out you can go then you can go onto a, a campus directory where you can you know you can search for students that are in your college or whatever it is another side of it is that they seem to be utilising a lot is the groups aspect do students not just go to the pub and meet with like minded people go home and have sex with each other anymore does everything have to be online and campus based I mean this is the social distancing it's not that's yeah, exactly that's, why yeah, they're bringing yeah, this yeah, out. That's exactly yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, so yeah, apparently, this yeah. is the help. Put twenty thousand students in the university, and none of them are going to sleep with each other. That's <laughs> definitely going to happen because of COVID. I yeah, absolutely. And the last piece that kind of caught my attention was another management tool for Facebook and Instagram. So Facebook are launching Facebook Business Suite, which is basically an all-in-one management tool combining Facebook and Instagram. Now, at the moment, it's Facebook and Instagram, but they are looking. They're they're saying that they're going to integrate WhatsApp which will be the first time all three of those platforms will be integrated into one. Um, basically, what it does is, it's your, for scheduling, shows you your insights, messages, notifications, alerts, basically everything that we have already in Creator Studio, Pages Manager, and then if you have Hootsuite or any of these kind of scheduling platforms, it's basically all that in the one. But I, I don't think we need another one, but what I do like from what I've seen so far is how easy it is to look at it. They've kind of integrated the the insight section very well. You're kind of able to compare on the same page, basically, Facebook right beside Instagram. You're able to see how pages are comparing against each other, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, look, it's an important part for their business. Well, look, again, the look ultimately, Facebook, unlike previous ad models where you used to generate most of your revenue from the top 100 brands in the world or the Forbes 500, whatever the case is, if the Forbes 100 drop off of Facebook then you still have hundreds of thousands of other customers there so the easier Facebook can make their app platform the more local businesses can use it without any marketer any digital marketing and support and that's what this is aimed towards they're aiming it towards what they're saying is basically towards smaller businesses yeah and, and that, look that, that's what Facebook have done very very well Facebook is not an ad platform just for the Fortune 500 it's an ad platform for everyone and that's why their business model is that's why their business model is so robust that's why they're still growing is because they have such a diversified um, customer base and again the customers are the business it's not the users the users are the product here Perfect. and stepping away from Facebook I suppose our last piece of news then is around TikTok and we can't help but mention TikTok and all the news that's been surrounding them there in the last couple of weeks so Dave fill us in yeah I suppose t- TikTok is an interesting one in that like there's been a lot of social networks emerge in the last number of years and a lot of people have been predicting that we would see a new social network emerge because people were getting fed up of Facebook, Instagram and so on. They wanted something new, they wanted something different. And as people's attention spans are contracting in many ways, short form video was always going to be something that could take off in the same way that Vine took off a number of years ago. Um, I suppose what's interesting about TikTok is that their growth rate now is faster than Facebook during their first three years. Um, but I think what shut existence. that off is definitely COVID. Well, no, it was like that before COVID. Though that trajectory was that. No, it's taken it to a new level entirely. Yeah, now, what's going to be interesting is can they maintain that? Yeah. Like, what I would say about TikTok is that it is the most addictive platform that I have come across in the last five years. Like, I would even say for myself, and I am a big Netflix fan, I, for a period when I started using TikTok, actually struggled 
to watch Netflix because I was so used to that instant kind of gratification of oh yeah that's yeah, a funny you. clip next one that's a funny clip whereas you have to kind of buy in to a series on Netflix you have to buy into a movie so I thought that was really really interesting but I suppose what why it's been in the news recently more so than anything else is that um, uh, Donald Trump doesn't like TikTok um, which isn't that surprising um, I suppose a lot of stuff on TikTok will be anti-Donald Trump it won't come as a surprise to any of our listeners that Gen Z um, aren't really a big fan of a misogynistic homophobic racist president and therefore a lot of the content on that platform is very very anti-Trump and anti-conservative I suppose so for that reason Trump said that he wanted to ban it we're not even halfway through the first episode and we're taking the bash off Trump, Trump already oh this is only the, this is only the start like, I mean, it's not a bash off him it's the truth he is racist he is misogynist and he is very very homophobic so there's nothing factually incorrect about what I've just said and this is not a political podcast no it's not a political podcast it's another marketing podcast <laughs> another marketing podcast but anyway but I suppose what, what is after happening recently is that Donald Trump said that he was going to ban uh, TikTok from the United States given this anti- Donald Trump messaging or sentiment that was coming through the platform at all time um, and he basically says he's going to ban the platform unless they move their operations to to the United States um, that resulted in Microsoft trying to buy TikTok and um, ByteDance who are um, the owners of TikTok a Chinese based company said absolutely not and what's kind of happened now is that there's a, a bid on the table at the moment or a deal being kind of sorted out at the moment between it's basically being tossed up between all the big boys like well it is but I mean there's so there's two companies after emerging as the forerunners at the moment and it's not Facebook it's not YouTube it's not any brand that has any track record of running a social media platform it's Walmart who sell carrots and guns and and they sell guns as well and Oracle who are the B2B IT infrastructure SaaS based organisation CRM so like there's no reason why there is no synergy that can possibly exist between Oracle, Walmart, and TikTok. Not they don't work anyway. well. Not that they work with each other, but I suppose the main the main problem here is that it is a political football that Trump is kicking around the place. The bid at the moment, or not the bid, but the deal that is being talked about at the moment, is that Oracle and Walmart would own a combined twenty percent, and ByteDance would still own eighty percent of Facebook, or eighty percent of um, TikTok. And basically all the stuff that Donald Trump is saying that he's worried about in terms of privacy concerns, um, the kind of rumour or the sentiment in the market at the moment is that the Chinese Communist Party is taking the data that TikTok are capturing from US users and using that for their own kind of political gain. That's still the case because under the, um, uh, the national intelligence law, which is a Chinese-based law, the Chinese Communist Party have the right to ask for the data from any company that is Chinese owned and obviously with 80% ByteDance would still have full still. ownership of that particular organisation um, but like I mean it is, it is interesting like I mean they will be moving their customer data to a US based IT infrastructure which is where Oracle comes in but I mean it's it, it, it's pandering it's not going to change anything in relation to the data or the privacy concerns that Donald Trump supposedly has that danger still absolutely exists yeah, and I think I definitely think by the next podcast we have out after this, we'll probably have a bit more indication on where that's actually going. Well, I t- like I mean, I'm expecting like I mean the the whole scenario is bizarre. Like the idea of Walmart coming in and all of a sudden managing a social media network. Now Walmart have done incredible work over the last number of um, months in terms of improving their Omni channel and stuff like that, and we can we can talk about that in a, in a later episode. But the stuff coming from the president is just incredible. Between wanting to ban them. 
then kind of giving, giving a blessing okay, giving yeah. a blessing for Oracle and Walmart to buy 20% which doesn't solve the problem that he says he's solving it's, and it doesn't solve the problem that it's actually causing him either um, and then he came out earlier on today and he said that when this, this acquisition merger whatever you want to call it takes place that they, he wants those three companies to invest $5 billion um, in a company that basically um, acts as an education fund uh, teaching American kids about American history, um, which is... Where, where does that come from? Like? Well, it reflects what Hitler did when he took over Germany. You take out the academics right. <laughs> and then you take over the media and then what you do is you educate the young to your own ideology. Like the idea of Donald Trump saying that a company partially owned by um, Larry Ellison, who's the CEO of um, CEO of Oracle, um, who's a big Trump supporter, all of a sudden has partial access even to a lot of this data. And he's saying that he wants to use this platform to educate American kids, obviously with a certain ideology in mind. This is a very, very dangerous thing to happen. It's very, very rare that a US president gets involved in any kind of M&A activity when it comes to the United States. This has happened and now he's looking to create an education platform. It looks very, very dodgy to me, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll have more on that next week when we come back. So, as Super we... value have bought TikTok. <laughs> Wait for it. It's going to happen. Wait for it. So I suppose, uh, as we said, the next segment of our episode will be fa- focused around a particular area. And this week we decided to focus on lockdown marketing. Should businesses have stopped, continued, kept going, invested, whatever the case may be, in marketing over the last few months through COVID? What do you think? Um, it's it's a tough one. Like, I mean, local businesses in particular, um, I feel really, really sorry for, particularly yeah. those in retail, those in hospitality, um, leisure, all of those, and a few of them would be would be clients of mine really really difficult to do i think i think some businesses have pivoted reasonably well or they're looking to pivot into the future and um, i don't i don't think businesses have a choice but it's very difficult for them to make the decisions that they probably should be making like if you are a retailer and you don't have an e-commerce presence it is very very difficult now with your stores reduced capacity you're still paying high rents you're still paying high rates you're still paying the same if not more staff because you've yeah. got covid compliance that you've got to that you've got to contend with and um, there is the covid payment at the moment which is a help to some businesses but again that's not going to that's not going to last forever but for you as a local business to invest possibly 30 grand in an e-commerce infrastructure and the staff that has to go with that and the upskilling that has to go with that it's a really, really tough ask for businesses that can't predict the future. And it's the uncertainty that's a killer. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I think what I've noticed, though, is the creativity that has come out of companies since COVID has hit. Like, as you said, you know, about the e-commerce, businesses that have never, might never, never even have had a Facebook page, never even worried about social media, next thing they're selling online. You know, and there's definitely been a growth in companies that are jumping online, whether that's through social media or e-commerce. Yeah, and I think in particular, I would have noticed it with completely unexpected businesses, yeah. like like kind of, um, like local there's a local butcher is yeah. here and they're doing click and collect. Um, and again, set up their website, probably a very poorly designed website, poor IT infrastructure, but it worked during COVID. Yeah. I suppose the question is, is that that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a short-term solution for a crisis. What's going to be really interesting is how businesses 
progress now over the next number of years in terms of again taking that click and collect functionality and investing in it further but again but it's difficult for them to do like I mean look I would look at this from a not just a marketing perspective but a business financing investment side of things and if I had a business that was that had reserves of let's say 250k and they said to me should I invest in we say between 30 grand for a e-commerce website you're hiring in a marketer to do to manage that site you're hiring an extra members of staff to look after stock management and stuff like that all that kind of stuff what I'd be saying invest in that for the future or will I be saying wait I, I think at the moment my answer would, would be wait but do um, you think then they're going to be left behind they, they could be left behind but I think that what you don't want with a lot of these businesses and what's a killer for these businesses is the hidden costs associated with moving online yeah. what I would always say to a business owner is that if you are moving to an e-commerce platform it's not just building a website it's like opening up an entirely new store yeah. with the amount of infrastructure that you have to build in the background the integration with your uh, EPOS system in the physical store you've got your deliveries and then you've got extra costs associated with that as well if you're selling online your margins are lower because you're paying your Shopify or whatever the case is, a transaction fee. You've got your Stripe, they're charging you a transaction fee. Uh, you've got delivery costs. You've got returns, which aren't just people showing up to your store, but they have to actually physically post the returns back. You've got delivery costs and you've got offers that you've got to make to your customers, spend over 100 quid, you get free delivery. So people need to kind of really realize that if they are going online there needs to be a full strategy and costing done out for that gravitation online and it's not just as simple as putting up a Wix website no, it's, not, it's, it's not as simple as just opening up and a lot of people do that's what I've seen a lot of they've literally just opened up the website they've left it there and hope for the best they're not following through on advertising whether that's with radio whether that's with print whether that's with social media they're just not following through on they're literally just opening the website and thinking Woohoo! I have a, I have a new website that I can go and do click and collect with. But that, but I, but I think that's fair enough as well because there's so much involved in something like that. Like I mean, if a local business is going to come along and like like pay like pay a consultant to hire someone in, like that's a huge cost at a time when businesses are struggling. And this is my point: is that are they going to get left behind? Possibly, but there's also a possibility that the market's just going to get saturated, or that they won't have the resources. To operationally run that particular website and that's why I think this is really really difficult I think that um, Enterprise Ireland have done a great job um, the grants, yeah. yeah the grants like I mean to get to be able to get a 40,000 euro grant um, to digitalize your business strategy really really um, good initiative from them and there's a lot of businesses that I'm involved with who've taken up that opportunity and it's it's given them access to something that they otherwise wouldn't be able to but you also have to say to these people that yeah but your margins are also going to take a hit and another worry for me would be when it comes towards hopefully towards the end of all this things start picking back up people start walking into the store again does all that work get left behind yeah and and that and that's and that is that is a danger with this um and what i would worry as well is that like you know brands take years to build e-commerce sites take even longer to build because brands are brands have been built over years and years and years e-commerce sites are even tougher because you've got a global competition that you're competing with and the worry here is that businesses get frustrated when they're not seeing the sales straight away and they don't realize this is a long two three four year process that they have to go to to actually get those returns 
um, from the investment that they're actually getting. So no, look, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough, and there's no doubt it is really really tough for local businesses. Um, support local if you can is what I'd say to you, um, because businesses are struggling. But again, like you said, there's a lot of innovation going on as well. So it, it's an exciting time for businesses. Um, that can possibly see the end of the the end of the road of this um, pandemic that we're in. Yeah, definitely. I think what I, as I said, I kind of mentioned there a while ago. What I've loved seeing since COVID kicked is how creative businesses have become over the last couple of months. Um, one business that kind of stands out to me, it's something that never stood out to me before in terms of a brand, but it's Fairmont Hotels in Canada. I'm not sure if you ever came across them. No, never. Um, based in Banff, um, beautiful location, but they came up with this whole idea. How do you know it's a beautiful location? Have you been to Banff? I've seen the videos. Okay, it's a marketing <laughs> video, it must it be worked. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it worked on me. Um, they came out with this series of uh, videos, which I, I always love the idea of content that kind of follows on from each other, and you know, there's a style and consistency going out. Series, series of content. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So they came out with maybe five or six different videos, uh, the whole series was called the art of waiting so each video was from a different perspective of a different member of the hotel team so whether it was the chef it was the groundskeeper the concierge the, the bellboy the housekeeping it was all these points of views and basically they're in the hotel on their own doing their jobs waiting for the customers to come back but some of them are very serious some of them are a bit more there's one definitely is i it's a bit depressing and then the rest of them are funny so i think the chef one was definitely my favorite of the whole lot of them i think it was very very humorous and working in you know my own background i've worked in hospitality and hotels it's definitely reminded me of of that time of those type of personalities but but i just thought it was a great piece of content around how a hotel with no customers can be a little bit creative in keeping their brand alive but also offering a little bit of humor i suppose around a, a very serious time but did you i suppose did you see any other brands throughout COVID who and again like it was very interesting I saw a tweet by the rubber bandits around the time that COVID kind of kicked in and they basically said something along the lines of brand managers marketers just shut up for the time being like don't be taking advantage of this pandemic now of course that's not going to happen with a brand manager who's going to use every situation to their advantage and did you come across any brands that either did a really really good job or got the mood of the nation wrong what did you kind of think I think like you know we've we've talked about this a little bit probably over the last couple of months in terms of this whole new term of um woke marketing you know yeah. where, where brand managers or marketing managers are hopping on a particular topic or you know um trend trend or whatever's happening story, at the moment. Yeah, exactly slightly oriented yeah. um just basically to create a bit of content to be trendy or up with the times um but i think brands that have done it very very well over covid it will stand to them and and one i suppose that definitely stands out to me that we would be both very good fans of would be brewdog they yeah, yeah. did you see their whole thing about where they they brought out their own hand sanitizer basically i know a lot of companies that would produce beer because they naturally have the ingredients anyway brought out their own hand sanitizers but brewdog i think done it in a very i suppose authentic way and I know that's one word that a lot of people are going to hate but I think they actually did it in an authentic well, way well no I mean to be fair to Brewdog and um, we'll probably do actually a, it might be one of the focus sessions where we talk exclusively about but Brewdog and what they've yeah. done because again James Watt and the team out there do do incredible work but from what I remember of the um, of what they did over COVID is that they didn't want to let go of any of their staff who worked in their bars Brewdog have something like 12 bars around the world or something like that and, and maybe growing, it's more yeah, yeah. and growing um, 
and I can't wait to get back to one of them to be honest with you once we're allowed <laughs> back into the pubs but anyway but what they did was instead of letting go of their staff they brought their staff into the factories and then used the pubs as a, a kind of a new production facility to create this hand sanitizer, and they did it again they gave it to the NHS for free so there was obviously a cost to them as a brand oh, there was a huge cost of producing this absolutely and they ca- and again they didn't they didn't let go any of their staff because they kept them doing this really really good thing um, they also had the added benefit they used um, WHO guidelines so it was That's legitimate right. the, the organisation they posted it on their website so that they knew they were following the right guidelines basically once again staying true to what they were doing they were promoting the good sides of it as well you know that they were actually staying true to the whole element of it and the other side of it was then they actually they, they were doing so much but they actually ran out of um, whatever the plastic bottles or the packaging so they actually they started choosing the beer, beer bottles, bottles yeah, yeah. which was brilliant you know um, but yeah they ended up calling I think punk hand sanitizer which you know ties in with all their branding which it just looked fantastic but, but, but ultimately it doesn't come down to like you're saying it looks fantastic and, and that's grand and it, and it is important to look at this from, from a marketing perspective but when it when you and you mentioned woke marketing a while ago like any brand out there and the majority of woke marketing out there is virtue signaling brands don't actually do anything they engage in CSR for the purposes of planting a few trees they can tick a box at the yeah. shareholders meeting at the end of the year with a company like Brewdog, they do tend to do quite a lot of good things yeah. associated with that brand. Um, like they have the, like we mentioned, the hand sanitizer. Um, but there's a purpose to it. And you feel like they're actually doing things, not just for the purposes of their brand, but because they actually care about what they're doing. And what I'd always say to a brand when I'm kind of critically analyzing them in terms of are they actually doing something for good or are they doing something to generate a pure profit or is it Charity just for a spin or something like exactly this, yeah. but what I would always look at is is what we're doing can it cause us reputational damage or is it going to cost us financially yeah. and if it doesn't do one of those two things then ultimately you're just doing it for your own benefit and your own to gain. Look good, yeah. um, exactly. And again, but Brewdog in that particular case was it reputationally damaging? Of course it wasn't. But financially, absolutely. But they're willing to support and get behind a particular um, a particular cause. And if they get a jump in the amount of people that are drinking their beer afterwards, good luck to them. Yeah. As long as they did something purposefully and meaningfully, and they actually got behind it and did something which was which was real. Yeah, definitely. I suppose talking about campaigns then um, kind of maybe wrap up maybe the whole episode maybe talking about oh thank god (laughs) that time already Um, talk about maybe some campaigns that maybe stood out through COVID Uh, some really really good ones so any really stand out to you yeah like I mean look there was there was I mean to be fair there was there was two that stood out to me for the wrong reason or for one for the right reason and one for the the wrong reason Um, both in the same industry so one was um, be careful who you slate now the Azure yeah, one was the Azure and Guinness okay, we're going big, right? and, the, and the other one was uh, the other one was Tullamore Dew the Tullamore Dew ad was absolutely brilliant okay. and the Guinness ad was was not good at all and look we can talk can we play the can we play the the clip for the yeah. two or three people who are still listening to us <laughs> we'll play the Tullamore Dew one there now take a seat and a sip and I'll bring you on a splendid trip A stroll up the road, a gentle roam, I'll bring you into my second home. A social cornerstone, our culture, sung and sung. Known for more than its grub, this is a lament of the Irish pub. Charismatic, enigmatic, dogmatic, and sometimes even dog friendly. 
It's lighthearted and wholehearted, so let's, let's get started. started. It's where banter beats the band, and the band beats the bower. Anything for an L song. From Mullingmore to Tullamore, speckled across this land. Pubs more difficult to escape than quicksand. A place for daydreams and dream days. GA heads with sore heads. Rugby buffs, soccer toughs, the almost nearly never enough. Splendid soaking rays on sunny days often saved us on rainy days. Public dynamics sponsored by Smithics. Characters and characteristics oozing from the oak and dark beer oozing from the tap. Another pack of potatoes lands in your lap. We've all had one. Coat hooks and dark nooks, cozy snugs and drunk hugs, DMCs and ocean filled GNTs, dropped pints and dropped gold. Bacon fries and Drico tries, my waddies and hot toddies, smoking rooms and smoke shows, cocktail sausages and cocktail makers and those awkward, awkward Tinder daters, bar stools and bar flies, drunk lads and wise guys, no ivory towers here, just men hiding from the fear, pints of plain, balls of malt, those chips, is way too much salt. It's a lock in, but you're locked out, the garden lock to end the stout. Full of tales and fables and occasional dancing on the tables. The Irish pub needs no weather spills, so. It's been often imitated and never bettered, and this storm will be weathered. So I'll leave you with this, and I'll bid you adieu. I'm heading for a pint, and I told him more you. Yeah, I tell you what now, I, li- I watched that during COVID and it could only bring a tear to the eye given that we were all locked out of pubs, but I suppose like... what Emotional connection to the Emotional connection to the pub. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now, I suppose, like the name of that, um, the name of, like I wouldn't even call it an ad, it was a piece of content. Yeah, yeah there was Tullamore Dew kind of placed and sprinkled throughout, but it was a legitimate poem and was something that I was actually interested in. And again, when you were kind of removed from, and again, the pub is such a central part of Irish culture and Irish life. It's where all things Irish kind of come together, friendship, family, community, music, all these kind of things come together in that central hub of the pub. And when we were blocked out of that, I think that poem just hit the exact tone of the nation. And I think what was great about it is that it was marketing in context to a very very specific audience you could show that to an american consumer and it wouldn't mean anything to them yeah it's definitely it's definitely hitting home to what we relate to in terms of uh, the pub and what i love about that video is when you're listening to it you don't have to watch it but definitely when you watch it it adds another element to it again. Oh, it adds another layer to it like even there is, is a short clip and it's mentioned during the poem about this idea of kind of licking your fingers after the tato packet like, yeah. do you know what I mean just little little subtle notes like that which really really hit home and I think like if we're to compare Tullamore Jew in that particular piece of content to any ad really that kind of Guinness have put out over the last number of years you can see why that Tullamore Jew piece of content really really hits home whereas Guinness ads for Irish consumers with probably the exception of the one they play at Christmas you don't even take notice of them anymore the reason is that for me Guinness is a global brand promoting kind of Irish narratives that don't actually mean anything to us anymore because it's a kind of a bastardised generalised understanding of what it is to be Irish whereas Tullamore Jew that ad was constructed specifically for the Irish consumer and things would mean more to us and I think that's the difference with a lot of ads nowadays is that Tullamore Jew 
was advertising in context. Again, it grabbed your attention and it kept your attention. Whereas the Guinness, anything Guinness have put out recently, it could just be an ad that was on television 10 years ago. It's just another ad. I think it was very, very important for what brands did put out over COVID because, you know, obviously, look, this kind of a pandemic has never happened before. But as you said, Tullamore Jew definitely related to the audience that it was trying to hit. Guinness put out an ad uh, around Paddy's Day relating to what we're missing about Paddy's Day being in the pub. It just didn't hit home, as you said, to, to the audience. Because it was a bastardised version of Irish. It was an, an American vision or an American kind of viewpoint Concept, of, yeah. of how they think that kind of Patrick's Day is, um, or Patty's Day as they call it. Anyone who calls it Patty's Day, you've the permission to stab them in the eye with a fork. That's the rule. <laughs> but I suppose, like, what if, if we even go back to basic brand building... Um, Branding is a very, very simple is a very, very simple construct if you bring it down to its base level. You have a product, it's generally quite cheap, and then in order to charge a superior margin to your competitors on that product, you wrap that in cultural codes that make it more appealing to a consumer group. So that brand doesn't mean just the utility of the product. There it says something about you if you are consuming this particular um, this particular brand. And that's exactly what Tullamore Jew did. If you break that ad down or if you break the, the poem down, it's full of just very, very resonant Irish symbology, which is really, really relevant to Irish people. And it's not, again, generalised. I think that's what a lot of brands try and do now. They try and generalise their content to a wider audience, which before they could buy just on TV. And that doesn't work anymore. And that's why the Tullamore Jew ad was a good piece of content. Very engaging. For in and of itself. Like, like, I don't... Like, in reality, I probably listen to that Tullamore Jew piece of content maybe 10 times. You don't do that with an ad. No. People don't like advertising. Advertising is disruptive. It interferes with our consumption experience. So if you have a good piece of content, it needs to be a good piece of content for content's own sake. Because otherwise, people will just divert their attention elsewhere. That's when television advertising is dying. It's like print advertising well, is I, dying. I always kind of have a rule if I'm creating any content or any piece of... Uh, it just posting on social media. I always have a rule of three things. The content has to be valuable, shareable, and relevant. And I think that ad kind of, you know, Capsulates all those kind of rules that I would have anyway that it is relevant to its audience it's definitely valuable I suppose in the time that it's being put out with true COVID it's offering you know a remembrance or an engaging you know memory and then the other side of it is a shareable it's definitely something I think you shared it to me the minute it came out and I've definitely shared it onto other people you know it's a shareable piece of content which is definitely the most valuable oh, I, like, I, I remember I sent it to a, to a group of my buddies not marketing people like and I remember one of them yeah. came back and said something like oh my god I actually missed the pub so much yeah. like it actually meant something to people like it was a proper real poem and what I think is not so much brave because it was the right thing to do but what you'll get with a lot of brand managers now is they try and sandwich their brand into the forefront of the content so it's at the very very start yeah. was with that poem Tullamore Jew wasn't mentioned until the very very last yeah. note it's, it's the industry that Tullamore Jew is almost involved in that's what they're promoting exactly and I think what was important there is that they were brave enough to know that that piece of content was so good that when someone pressed play they'd wait till the very very end yeah. and that's when they hit them with the Tullamore Jew at the very very end I think that it's very very brave but it also shows what you need to do as a marketer if you really want to create content which resonates with consumers and that that's like ultimately for me that's what it comes down to is resonance with your content perfect well I think that's uh, a nice way to finish up for today's um, episode so thanks very much to everyone who listened in Hopefully this will be coming out on a weekly basis. Uh, we're up on the majority of the usual social media platforms. You can follow us there. You can subscribe to us. And uh, thanks very much for listening in. 
Yeah, great time. Uh, good to get episode one out of the way and um, onwards and upwards. Hopefully upwards, definitely upwards. Take care, goodbye.